Hello, welcome to episode 257 of the Customer Support Leaders podcast. I'm Charlotte Ward. Ward. Today, welcome Ty Givens to talk about benchmarking. Environment. I'd like to welcome to the podcast today, Ty Givens. Ty, lovely to have you join me for the first time. Thank you so much. Would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. First, let me thank you for having me on. Let's start there. Um, I'm excited for this conversation myself. Uh, So for everyone listening, my name is Ty Givens, and I am founder and CEO of CX Collective. I have been working in, I'm going to date it back to call centers because mm. I'm a, technically a dinosaur in this space, but um, <laughs> I, I go back to that time. Um, and I've started my career with Fortune 500s, but I love uh, building things and working in the unknown and solving really complex problems. So um, I started uh, CX Collective, which used to be called the Workforce Pro in mm. 2016. Um, and as we've evolved and changed, um, we rebranded. And so now we help companies uh, build or improve customer service experiences. And that's people process tools, um, technology, all those things. A lot of fun. That's awesome. It, it, it's uh, it's such a varied space to be consulting with other companies in, isn't it? You, like no two weeks must be the same for you. Nothing is the same. The I always say we can't, uh, it's like a head of CX is expected to be in the past, present and future and mm. work across people, process and tech simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And the best example that I give is you and I are having this conversation right now. If a live chat popped up that you needed to answer, could you really divert your attention to focus there and focus on me? It's just not possible. So I think that from my time leading teams um, and the expectations that I had on me, I wanted to create a space and a company that actually supported other leaders mm. um, so that they didn't have to feel like they had to do all things on their own. And I know that battle of fighting to get headcount. If you say you need workforce management, they're, they're laughing at you like, I'm sorry, we're not bringing in another high paying role. <laughs> um, I need a trainer. I'm sorry, we don't have someone who can just train. So um, now you can work with, we work with our clients in those capacities. So it's like, what do you need? Where are your gaps? And then as the collective, we fill in those gaps to make you whole for you know, a short-term project or long-term for many of our clients. Mm, that's awesome. That's awesome. And I mean, it's interesting what you say about budget, because I think that, um, you know, getting budget for people is hard, getting budget for, bizarrely, just for the most basic of tools is hard sometimes, isn't it? Um, and yet here we are expected to deliver something that's resilient and scalable and high quality and all of those things and and measure it as well, right? Um, and and I I... The people listening to this won't have spotted it, but that was a segue into what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> did you spot I it? it? I did. I got it. I see where you're going. <laughs> so what are we talking about today? Today we're going to talk about uh, the farce of benchmarking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the farce. Okay. Strong yeah, words. Um, 
because I'm not against benchmarking. Let me say that. Um, what I mean by that is that the experience that a brand or business gives its customer is so personalized that what the industry does matters far little in comparison than mm. what most people think. Mm. Um, I just, uh, oh no, go ahead. You oh, I, I was just, I was just going to say, I think that's really interesting because the, um, I, and I think, I think one of the first things we should, first of all, we should define what benchmarking is. Let's go there in a second. But, but so the thing that occurs to me about benchmarking and the reason for my um, not so subtle segue earlier was that, you know, it, benchmarking is really all about numbers. It's really all about metrics and how we measure the quality, the resilience, the scalability and everything and and the effectiveness of any part of our customer experience and our service, right? And And I think companies... I mean, your word "fast" was <laughs> was was well chosen because I think that companies put a lot of emphasis on where they sit against certain industry benchmarks and standards. Um, in I would, I kind of want to say in a kind of slightly delusional way that it actually it actually is an indicator of how. Um, how well we're doing, you know, it, 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 it's a it's a contributor, not an indicator of, but a contributor to the bottom line, and and I I think that's the farce of benchmarking, frankly. Um, <laughs> just just to put my feelings out there, um, let's talk about first what 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 are we talking about though? We've we've talked yeah. a lot already about benchmarking, but what really is it? Yeah, so um, let's let's take the retail industry, e-commerce, online shopping. Um, in the last 30 days, several times I've gotten the answer or the question, um, what are other companies like us doing? How are they measuring their CSAT or what are their CSAT scores? Um, what is their first reply time? And what is their volume? And I can provide that data. However, because right now industry average for retail this is according to Zendesk, it's 18.8 hours on first reply. Wow. Well, I tried to get our clients within one business day. That's eight hours. Mm. So if we're looking at that benchmark and we're saying that's success, that doesn't mean that that's success for you because you can do far better. Mm. So we're not going to lean on that. CSAT globally is at 94%. <clears throat> I think it's high 80s. Um, uh, from, I guess, the aggregate of customers using or providing surveys for the data on mm. the Zendesk platform, their benchmark report or benchmark survey. Um, but the client that I was working with, of course, won't say who was in the low 80s. Mm. And the target that I set for them was 90%. Mm -hmm. um, sorry, the actually, the, the benchmark was 89%. I set 90% for them. Mm -hmm. um, and I set 90% because based on the analysis that we've done on why their CSAT is where it is, mm -hmm. I could clearly see the fixes that were necessary mm -hmm. to put them to that 90%. And that was just the starting point because they can even do better from there. Mm -hmm. So when I say it's a farce, it's not that the information is not valuable, but if I were to compare other companies that we've worked with in that same space, so yes, retail, but the specific type of products they sold, mm -hmm. uh, the, the reply time, 
are different as far as the expectation. Um, the CSAT scores are very different for different reasons. And their volume is very different for different reasons. So it's cool to, to look across. But at the same time, I wouldn't say that, you know, everyone should start like assigning their targets based on what other businesses are doing because your business may be different. Yeah. Um, actually, I would argue that most businesses are different. <laughs> Not all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you yeah. might, you might be able to identify, like if you could get, if you could get the information, if you were lucky enough to be able to get the information, my, my, gut instinct and in fact it's kind of plastered all over my LinkedIn and my and the customer support leaders homepage is that you know no two support environments are the same no two weeks in support are the same no two customer bases are the same no two technologies are the same it's the number of variables that is the problem and so even if you look even if you segment by industry by vertical by you know uh I don't know uh sales model or whatever so if you look at B2B, tech, SaaS, like that's still quite a big quadrant of the market. And I know what roughly the averages are for some of those metrics you talked about for CSAT and First Reply. And I know where I can far exceed them and where I don't stand a cat in hell's chance of meeting them <laughs> because I'm I'm not average. I'm 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 quite unique in that very big bucket. And my bet is that a lot of other organizations are quite unique in that bucket too. They are. And we always say that we we focus on bespoke customer experiences. And it almost goes without saying, but I think that it still has to be said because the reality is that, you know, the the term good customer service or excellent customer service means so many different things to so many different mm -hmm. people. Um, sometimes for we may have a client who feels that excellent customer service means that everything is automated and their bot is stellar and they get very few tickets. And then you may have someone who says, no, excellent customer service for us is first contact resolution. Mm -hmm. um, and we want people to submit requests because we are about, you know, people first. It just really runs the gamut. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think that what, what the idea is to, for me is to really review um, the current engagements, listen to the, the existing customers and let them tell us what success looks like um, and let them tell us what their metrics should be um, instead mm -hmm. of us deciding what the metrics should be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that's the right way to go. And I think it's the only way you can set reasonable and achievable targets for improvement in your own organization um, and have an understanding because your customers are telling you, uh, you know, of what good is in any of those, across any of those metrics, right? Mm -hmm. um, there is another side, though, I think, to benchmarking. I think this is the, I think this is the side that nobody really wants to admit to, and that is that benchmarking is really a marketing tool, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> isn't it we reply faster we our customers are happier like it's all out there when we're doing well we never tell anyone when we're doing badly of course, <laughs> of course not so that's absolutely true i mean do, do customers buy it though would be my question <laughs> you know i i think 
to a degree, but I don't think that it is that they're buying it based on self-reported metrics or details. I think they buy it when, I'll give you an example. Um, If I am considering using a new business or company, um, I, the first thing I do is go to their bad reviews Mm -hmm. and read those because I figure if there's two, two schools of thought there, one, do they reply to the bad reviews and what do they say? Mm -hmm. Because that tells me how much you care about the experience. Mm -hmm. Um, the other thing is, can I live with the worst, Mm -hmm. right? If someone says, um, you know, this product only lasts a week and I only need it for three days. Oh, a week is fine. You know, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. bad reviews are not always bad. Sometimes they're informative. Um, mm-hmm. I have a, um, a friend, her husband has a medical practice. He's an amazing doctor. Um, and she is, she's amazing at creating a patient experience. She has this vision of what she wants and she executes well. <clears throat> so on her um, someone left a review on Yelp and said, this doctor's office feels too much like a spa. And she called <laughs> me frantic. <laughs> She's like, how do I get this taken down? I was like, well, you can't, you know? Mm-hmm. And then she goes, but it's a bad review. We had all five stars and we have this one. I said, you know what? I was like, that's not a bad review. That's an informative review. Mm-hmm. So the next time someone wants to go to an office that doesn't feel like a doctor's office and feels like a spa, they're going to be like, oh, yeah, I read that. That's where I'm going to go because that's good for them. It just wasn't good for her. Mm-hmm. And sometimes those experiences are personal. Mm-hmm. So I think or all the time they're personal. But I think that um, at the end of the day, it, it sounds good to say our customers are satisfied. But I, like you said, is anyone ever going to say our customers are never satisfied? They're not. I think we just have to read between the lines on mm. what does that mean and what does that look like? And I think a lot of businesses do a great job, you know, at the top of the funnel, um, making sure that you feel really good and supported and you get fast answers until you buy. <laughs> and then at that point, they're, they're you know, good yeah. luck, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, so um, I think if we, we should, we should, sorry, um, do focus on trying to create a good experience across the board regardless mm, is my mm. opinion. I mean, I mean right towards the end of that example you 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 said the key thing which is that we should read between the lines and and I think that's that's it for me. The the number is never informative. It's it's mm-hmm. the words behind the number, the verbatims, the the actual opinions and feedback and you know, I I I, I always like to kind of dive into the simplest example possible. And so when I'm inter- interviewing people for my team, for instance, which is a deeply technical company, a deeply technical product, a deeply technical team, I, I just go to like, give me a really simple example of when you as a customer had a great experience. And nine times out of 10, we can't think of the time we talked to a deeply technical company with a deeply technical team. It's that restaurant we popped in last week or our last purchase from Amazon or the damn cell phone company. You know, it's the everyday. And and I think the thing that um I think the thing that tells me is that we actually all understand what we want to say about a customer experience as customers and we all have opinions because we experience it so much. And and right. those those people who are willing to commit the words in whatever review platform we're talking about or whatever survey you throw at them, those are the ones actually that are more important than any number, I would say. And yeah. and I think that um 
for me, like, I mean, I guess my, my, my own personal uh, reference point for that is, you know, the, the Amazon reviews, right? Some of which are hilarious. There's no getting past it. Very true. <laughs> but I, you know, when I'm, when I'm purchasing something from Amazon from a seller that I've never purchased from before, I, you know, I'll do my search. I will do like, I'm only interested in four stars and above, but I want prime delivery because that's very important to me as well. Now I've got a list of products I'm going to look at. And if I see one that catches my eye, I will I'm not really interested in the number at that point because they're all four and above. Um, mm-hmm. But like much like you, I'm diving into the the you know the quality or the life or the and 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 see what people's real experience with the product is. And I think that a lot of organisations, whether we're talking about B two C or B two C, miss that opportunity rather than just mm-hmm. talking about the number. You know. It's it's okay to put on LinkedIn. Our customers were ninety four percent satisfied last month, but I would love just more verbatims, right? I would love our customers. Ten of our customers gave us feedback on this particular thing, good or yeah. bad, and here's what we're doing about it. Exactly. Mm. That's the, I think you you hit it hit the nail on the head. What are you doing about it, mm. right? That's and that's the part that I think is missing a lot. Like. We ask for CSAT, we ask for NPS, we ask for customers to take their time mm. to tell us how they're experiencing our product, service, business, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But what are we doing with that information, right? Because I've seen where qualitatively there's an idea that a business or a support team is performing a certain way. And then you get the data and the mm. data disproves what you thought you knew. Mm-hmm. And you have the ver- verbatims from the customer, but you're like, well, no, no, no. Because the customer I spoke to last week said this, right. But, you know, 40% of the people who did this survey said that. Mm-hmm. So what are you going to do about that? Mm. And I think that having tough skin when you read those reviews and those results is going to help not internalizing it, not making it personal, but at the same time being open to the fact that this is the the expectation of the customer is different than what you thought it was. Mm. And that's okay. Mm. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. So. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think then you're you're making informed decisions, you know, in, in a way that that a number can never tell you. Um yeah. one of my colleagues uh told me uh uh a kind of, uh, I wouldn't call it a proverb uh, or a saying, but so, but like a a slogan. I don't really know what okay. the word. It, it was something that came out of a study that was done in the mid-90s on something or other. I can't remember any of the details. But the important thing is it, it, the next kind of few words, which was um, data tells the truth to perception, which I really love. It's like, you you know, you 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 can have a number, but... On its own, it's not it's not really meaningful unless you use it to calibrate what you think. And and you can use numbers yes. and all of the verbatims behind it to do that calibration and that that kind of challenge. And like you say, you have to develop a bit of a tough skin, right? But but it challenges your perception, I think. And I think if you're prepared to be challenged, then you can take that baseline that we started talking about at the start of this conversation and and build your internal improvement. And who cares how you're doing against some random benchmark at that point, right? Right. What are your customers telling you? You can hit those benchmark numbers and the customers are still very unhappy. And then what, right? So it, it it's definitely, you got to listen to them. I mean, um, in 2013, no, 
maybe 15, I remember doing a um, Six Sigma green belt certification and the, I need to do black belt. I haven't done that yet, but it really focused a lot on just, um, you know, non-value add initiatives, which is anything your customer doesn't expect you to do. And I have adopted that mindset when it comes to working with clients. Like I really let the customer feedback drive our initiatives. Sure. I know what things we need to do just in general, but, um, you know, what we need to do is different than how we need to do it. The customer will tell you how you need to show up for them, but we have to listen and you, and you almost have to take a step back. Um, one of our, our team members, she joined, she's helping out with um, like some kind of like business systems analysis. And I told her, I said, uh, get rid of everything that you thought you knew about what it means to, to give good customer service. Mm-hmm. And um, I said, because what is good is what the, what the customer expects and what the client wants. Mm. And it's very different than what you've always known. Mm-hmm. And you have to get rid of that. Mm-hmm. And I and she's like, that's really good advice. I said, yeah, because what's good for them may not be good over here. Mm. Um, different standards exist. And we just and we have to show up in that way that makes sense for the, the business. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you said it right there. You know, you said the customer will tell you how you have to show up for them. What a great ending to this conversation. I love yeah. that. I think that that's that's a great takeaway. Um, and, you know, if you still want to go out there and measure yourself against whatever segment of whatever industry you want and whatever benchmark, go ahead and do it. But show up for your customers in the way you, you need to for them because they're telling you, right, one way or another. 100%. And share this with whomever will, whoever you need, um, when you need backup. I'll say yes. that way. If you're, hey, listen, the look like this, but I don't think that's the way to go. Ty and Charlotte said, it's okay. <laughs> We're, here for, We're here for you. We're here for you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Ty. What a great conversation. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thank Will you, you for having me on. Oh, you're welcome. Will you come back for another conversation soon? Yes, anytime. Awesome. Anytime. Thank you so much. That's it for today. Go to customersupportleaders.com forward slash 257 for the show notes and I'll see you next time.